Hello, and welcome to the Government Relations and Public Affairs podcast here at Hogan Lovells. My name's Ivan Zapian, and I'm joined by my distinguished colleagues, Chess Garrison and Tim Bergreen. The last podcast that we did was such a smashing success that we thought we would keep it a regular trio of three amigos talking about everything having to do with Washington, D.C., government relations, and everything in between. So perhaps I thought we would I would kick off a conversation by framing everything in political terms, because obviously Washington, D.C., um, even though we're in governing season, I say that somewhat sarcastically, uh, is still a very political town. So uh, let's talk a little bit about politics to kick off our podcast. So, Tim... You know, I see the Republicans are starting to gear up for the presidential election. How do you see that playing out? And how do you think that affects our day-to-day here in Washington? So, um, you know, uh, it's, you know, not unexpectedly kicking off as sort of Donald Trump versus everybody else. And everybody else uh, is almost certainly going to include Governor DeSantis of Florida. And I expect that those two to go at it, hammer and tong, pretty much out of the gate. Um, you know, Trump has already apparently been road testing additional new insults um, against DeSantis. Um, obviously, um, you know, former South Carolina governor and UN ambassador Nikki Haley's already in the race as well. I expect some others to get in. Um, you know, it's, I think, way too early to forecast how this is going to turn out. But obviously, I think there's one thing that we can be certain of, and that is that the more people who get in, the better it is for Trump. Chess, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I think um, as it affects things in Washington, um, you know, a lot of the Trump DeSantis stuff is sort of not necessarily impacting the day-to-day goings-on in Congress. Uh, I think what it is is, you know, right now there's a little bit of a vacuum where everyone's sort of sitting around until the debt ceiling negotiations start. So in that vacuum, it's sort of filled with, you know, campaign fodder. Um, I think you don't have to look any further than the um, overturning of the D.C. criminal code um, that, that Democrats sort of quickly flock to. I think recognizing that they, you know, crime is going to be an issue that Republicans are going to continue to hammer Democrats on over the next two years uh, leading into the presidential election. So I think you're seeing some, you know, overtones of the, of the 2024 sort of already trickling into the mindset and sort of political calculations that happen are happening in Congress um, right now. So that that's sort of a, um, you know, I, I agree with Tim that it seems right now to be a DeSantis-Trump horse race. Um, you know, DeSantis is not particularly well known. I think he's more known in um, you know, in press coverage and clippings than he is, you know, no one's really sat and actually watched him do the sort of the retail politics or um, give a lot of speeches. So, you know, I think there may be sort of a little bit of coming back to earth coming for him um, just because, you know, Trump is so skilled at those things. And, you know, I'm not a student of Ron DeSantis's campaign, but um, it sounds like he's not quite as, that's not his strong suit. So we'll see, um, sort of how that plays out is, you know, the attention really gets focused on him. Uh, but again, as, as, you know, everyone in Washington is sitting around looking at the debt ceiling, I think that the 
you know, it's interesting to watch what issues bubble up because I think those are going to be sort of harbingers of what we expect to hear on the on the campaign trail uh, in the next year or so. Makes sense. Now, I, I from what I understand, DeSantis is not on a presidential campaign or tour yet. He's on a book tour. Is so so. Let's let's just yeah. Let's just since we're lawyers, let's be specific. Um, you know, I I I think that we are entering in Washington D.C. Probably one of the most exciting parts of any uh, period in Washington D.C., which is gearing up for a presidential election. So it's great, right? We've got a lot to talk about. A lot of um, sort of you know hand wringing you know, handicapping and analysis ahead, but it's also a very lonely time if you're in the House and the Senate, right? Because all of a sudden, all the oxygen is going to get consumed by something that may or may not happen two years from now. So, you know, as we think about Congress and we think about their priorities and we think about, you know, whether they're going to raise the debt limit or not, I do think that um, the cadence of, of, of Congress changes dramatically during the presidential cycle. It's also interesting that we don't have any members of the House or uh, members of the Senate who are actually um, currently identified as potential uh, White House aspirants, right? So, like, um, at the end of the day, you know, they're going to have to be senators, they're going to have to, you know, be House members, and they're going to have to fight for relevance, which is the realm of the coin in Washington, D.C. So, you know, how, do, how does that change the equation for those of us trying to get pieces of legislation enacted, things amended to help solve our, 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 our client issues? You know, how does that sort of change the, 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 the strategy in your view? Chess, you want to start? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's been interesting. There are little tricklings of bipartisan coalitions forming on um, certain issues. I think you see it around social media. Um, you've seen it sort of start to come to fruition around rail safety in light of the um, East, Pal East Palestine uh, disaster. And then also I think China is another area which Tim can probably speak more on uh, where there does seem to be some bipartisanship. Um, and I think a lot of that is driven by the fact that, you know, at least in the Senate, uh, people are up there because they want to get something done. Uh, and so I think, you know, as fun as it is to sit around and beat each other up on partisan issues, um, at the end of the day, constituents also want things to get done. So um, I don't, I'm not super confident that all of those areas are going to, you know, turn into fertile legislative, legislative ground. But I think it is um, telling that there is at least a desire to sort of come together and try to solve some problems. You know, I don't think anything's going to be, you know, historic, you know, kind of historic deals made, but I think stuff on the margins, um, there is a chance to get, to get things moving and get things through. Um, and it's, you know, sometimes these coalitions start around one issue and then, you know, there's a little bit of equity built up between the two, between the two parties. Um, and you get little groups of senators that like working together and that can sort of trickle off into other directions and other issues as well. So, um, you know, I, I am actually somewhat optimistic that um, the presidential politics of the day are not going to completely overwhelm you know, the day-to-day -day functioning in, in Washington. They have a job to do. Tim, what do you think? So, you know, I think for one thing, I think, that, you know, and this is going to be as true in, in this campaign season as it is in any one, you know, you switch to small ball um, a little bit during the, the two years preceding a presidential 
And I think in, in this case, it even is more warranted uh, in the sense that the Democrats and Biden actually got a lot of big stuff done in the first two years of his term. And I think because of that, you're going to see, you know, nibbling at the edges. There are going to be things, you know, that are going to attract members on both sides. You know, Ches mentioned a couple of minutes ago, China. Um, basically, you know, that's one way to get, you know, bipartisan buy-in on almost anything is to sort of slap a China threat label onto it and, uh, and move that into the mix. Um, so I do think that you will see, if for no other reason, just the sheer volume of legislative and committee attention being put onto China, that there's going to be a fair amount of uh, activity in that space. Yeah. So let's let's stay in China for a second, um, Tim and Chess, because you know I, I do think moving a little bit more into the workings of the House of Representatives, I think that if you look at the quote unquote investigations that are taking place, um, you know, there are they're 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 panning out the way most of us thought they were gonna pan out, right? Which is um, you know, essentially not real investigations going into substance, but rather partisan bickering on both sides, right? Because, you know, unlike the January 6th commission, right, which was very, very successful by all measures, but that's primarily because Republicans didn't participate in it, right? Like these current investigations actually have really smart people um, on the Democratic side and on the Republican side trying to make their points, but they don't get to make them in a vacuum, right? So in five-minute increments, it's really hard to sort of like lay in the sort of political punches that you think you can, you know, when you're thinking about this theoretically. So that's sort of playing out, and I'm not quite sure where all that energy is going to land, in any, and I doubt it's going to land in anything substantive because, you know, in theory, you know, in theory, Tim, you're the house guy, but in theory, you know, but in theory, like you're supposed to have these investigations because you're trying to write some legislation, right? Like hard to see what legislation is going to come out of these investigations. Well, we don't do that anymore, right? <clears throat> um, and we, we've been out of that business in the house for a while, really. Um, you know, I think to some extent what the Republicans there are looking at the effect of the Benghazi um, investigation on Hillary Clinton in 2016, and they are bringing, you know, some of that same playbook to Biden 23-24. And not sure it's going to work as well this time. I think that the public and, you know, the media is a little more savvy to some of what they're up to. And also, I think that the allegations themselves have gotten so much more outlandish and complicated and ludicrous in the last eight years that it's difficult for the average person who's not steeped in sort of foxology to even follow along with this stuff. And so I think you've already seen there's a lot of swinging and missing by Jim Jordan and his colleagues. I 100% agree with you, Tim. I that's that's my view as uh, my view as well. You know, but you know, as you know, as difficult as it is for me sometimes to be sort of you know practical, right? I'm always trying to find a, a, a you know an angle 
where my clients or our clients or people that are trying to get things done in Washington, D.C., right, or even be on the defensive, you know, how you utilize all that space and all that time and all that staff and all those energy, all that energy to move something forward. And I think I think the answer is self-evident, which you don't. It's kind of that's just that's just the, the purpose of that is politics. And, you know, it lands differently with different people. But in terms of trying to, you know, and well, before I get to that, Chess, let's go to the Senate because, I, you know, the, the Senate is actually not immune to this either, right? Because I think, you know, I think, um, you know, Bernie Sanders, Senator Sanders, right now, who's got a pretty prominent chairmanship, you know, has been pretty clear about dragging, dragging, you know, CEOs up to his committee, sort of, and using it again as a way to sort of, you know, make policy points. But just through rhetoric and TV, I don't see where that moves forward. But, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm, it's interesting to me, right, that actually it's Sanders versus the Republicans that's actually bringing the CEOs in front of them to, like we thought the Republicans were. But what do you think, Jess? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I used to work on the health committee for Senator Ted Kennedy. Um, and, you know, it was always sort of a, a pretty bipartisan place where, um you know, Republicans, Democrats were able to work together on a lot of issues, not not every issue. But um, so it's sort of now being the at least early epicenter of, you know, Democratic uh, oversight investigations is it, it's, it's it's sort of interesting to me. Um, you know, I, I do think and I think some of that is also driven by Sanders, you know, enjoying having the gavel and, um, you know, probably have been waiting a long time to chair that committee rather than budget, which um, doesn't do, you know, a ton. Uh, not to cast aspersions on my co- former colleagues in the budget committee and it's chaired by my old boss now, Senator Whitehouse, um, who also is looking to do his own set of sort of climate related investigations. So um, a- another area where Dems are sort of being creative in, in how they go about using um, the power that they have. So, uh, you know, I-, I think you'll see some of it. I think it's going to be less, there'll be less TV moments and, and uh, hearings that are in search of TV moments uh, rather than um, you know, versus what we're seeing in the House, where they're very much designed for cable news hits uh, and Fox News hits in particular. Um, so, you know, I, I think you'll continue to see that. But while all this oversight activity is going on, and certainly the House sort of drives a lot of the, the day-to-day news, um, you know, I think you look beyond that, you almost sort of have blinders on and say, okay, yeah, that's all going on over here. But over here, you know, we're trying to get stuff done. I think members, certain members want to get stuff done. Um, and I, I think you try to almost, you know, cognitive, cognitive dissonance uh, and ignore that and just sort of, um, you know, head forward with the, the sort of treasury of trying to get legislation through or stop legislation. And, and kudos to, to Sanders, right? Because I think people have been trying to get Howard Schultz to testify, you know, before Congress, you know, for a long time. And, you know, to get, you know, as we all know, to get a CEO to testify without a compelling, who doesn't want to testify without having to compel him with a subpoena, you know, is no small sort of achievement for Sanders to, to have gotten to have gotten that commitment. We'll see how, how it goes, you know, but again, not sure that that necessarily opens up avenues for real legislation to sort of, you know, make its way through Congress. But, you know, that's just that's just me reading into the, the, the first two months. You know, I, I do think that 
you know, at, at some point, you know, at some point, they're going to have to get to a couple critical pieces of legislation. Nothing more important to every business in America, every person in America than the debt limit, right? Like I, I, everything I read, everything I hear when I talk to people, members, staff, everybody says, well, we're going to get it solved because we've always gotten it solved, you know? And then the question, the follow-up question is, um, yeah, but exactly how does that happen? And uh, there it's like crickets, right? Like, I don't, you know, I don't get a sense that there's real conversations taking place. I don't get a sense that there's any back room somewhere where this is getting worked out that we don't know about. I really do think that um, we are facing down a catastrophe, but people are just in denial that we're going to get there. Um, what do you guys think? Tim? Uh, I think that sort of you know, the uh, head in the sand uh, posture is pretty much, you know, par for the course around here and kicking the can down the road and, you know, letting problems, you know, metastasize um, has, you know, gotten us to some extent where we are today. So that's kind of my feeling about it. I don't know whether we're going to be able to you know, deal with it, um, you know, all that effectively until, you know, the 11th hour. As they say, let me double click on that, Tim, for a second. So I've already paid like the, you know, like, let's assume that we're, that we're writing a script for a movie. Right. Um, and the scenario is, you know, catastrophic, you know, economic situation that we're facing down by whatever the date is in June, that's coming down the bike. I already painted the first possibility right which is we don't lift it stock market tanks everyone's 401ks you know go down you know unhappiness eventually we lift it just simply because um you know it had to be done otherwise like you know we'd all be sort of you know farming our own chickens you know by the end of the week if we didn't get it done so paint a picture of like okay how does this get solved how does that get solved I mean, yeah, like what's what, what's the alternative scenario? <laughs> See, Chester gets a couple seconds here to come up with his. I mean, a lot of it is, you know, it is about obviously there's going to have to be some kind of manufactured compromise, right? But a lot of this at the end of the day is about a willingness on the part of one party to understand the responsibility for paying for the stuff that they've already bought. Um, this is not about paying for things in the future. This is actually about paying for the things we've already bought. Um, so, you know, how we, you know, avoid the train wreck, I'm not really sure. Clearly at some point, you know, the president, uh, McConnell, Schumer, McCarthy, and Jeffries are going to have to get into a room together and thrash this out. Um, but I don't necessarily see what the pathway is right now because both sides are completely dug in. Chess, your view? Yeah, I mean, I'm one thing I'm monitoring and, and asking folks as we as I sort of around town talking about this is can McCarthy reach a deal and maintain his speakership? Because um, I don't think he went through his like you know, 72 hour odyssey to get to be speaker. Uh, knowing that in five months he's got to fall on the sword and, you know, pull the country away from 
um, economic catastrophe and, you know, it costs him the job. I don't think that's, you know, I think maintaining a speakership, frankly, might be more important to him, at least now, um, than, than reaching a deal on this. And so, you know, can he bring a deal back to to the House Republicans and will they, A, support the deal and B, will the sort of Freedom Party wing not seek to try to remove him from speaker? Um, so that that's just sort of a, a non-substantive dynamic, but certainly one that's going to, I think, influence um, how and when and if you know, McCarthy comes to the table. Okay. So we have three possible endings for this movie. You know, you know, it's a catastrophe last minute back and forth and it gets fixed. Or the third option is, which isn't what you said, Chess, but the, the third option can be that at the end of the day to avoid catastrophe, this passes with majority democratic votes and some Republicans and Kevin McCarthy joins K street by the end of the year, three, three possible scenarios. So, um, but you know, and they're all, and they're, and they're all, you know, they're all equally possible. So in closing, you know, um, maybe we can go around the table and just, um, highlight something that, um, people aren't talking about that I think that is relevant to the way in which Washington DC works. I'll start with my uh, insight. And that is that people haven't been paying attention to this particular issue. Um, but I, as an astute Senate observer have, which is, you know, the Senate actually hasn't had enough people to, to, to vote functionally in like two or three weeks. And it may be longer. Right. Because they've had th between three and four absences. Right. So, um, you know, the, the Senate is definitely an institution that works well and respects people, you know, and gives them their time to recover from stuff. Right. And they don't and they don't press votes. But if we have a vote that is as, you know, you know, consequential as the let's say the debt limit where you need everybody present, you know, like. If that happened today, we'd be four votes short, you know, of everybody present. And by the way, everybody that is not showing up to vote these days are all people that I would say would fall on the side of being very practical in a situation like this. Just what do you what's your insight? Yeah, I mean, I think to, to piggyback here is I was actually looking at this the other day. I think the average age of the Senate is like almost 66 years old, which is somewhat young by recent Senate standards, but certainly um, is not a, a great position to be in when you may, you know, need every vote. Um, another, just another area that I'm sort of starting to watch, and it's, it's starting to sort of resonate on the Hill, and I would expect hearings and things coming, um, is AI policy. I think um, with ChatGPT and other, um, other AI functions that are sort of becoming more consumer focused right now, um, or more consumer friendly, I think we're going to have um, a lot of congressional interest in this. And I think, frankly, a willingness to avoid the situation we're in now with social media, where there were essentially no rules put in place over the last decade. And um, I think we're seeing some of the you know senators now realizing a lot of the negative effects that social media can have, especially on kids. And I think there's going to be a, um, you know, a pretty serious attempt to try to get out ahead of um, AI, whether they are actually able to do that on a little skeptical, but I think there will be interest there. Tim, over to you. So uh, something I'm looking at is this potential uh, visit by Taiwanese President Tsai to the United States. Um, 
where she would meet uh, potentially in California with Speaker McCarthy. This is apparently a uh, plan that has been worked out at the instigation of the Taiwanese um, as a sort of a, a, a fallback to having McCarthy go to Taipei. Um, and a lot of people seem to think that it is going to <clears throat> essentially uh, mitigate and mollify China and that they're not going to react the way that they did when Pelosi went last year. I actually don't necessarily agree with that. And I think that, uh, you know, I'm just looking very carefully at, at um, everything involving Taiwan and the way that the Congress is interacting with Taiwan and how that's being perceived in Beijing. Terrific. Well, this has been a fun conversation as, as usual. That's it. That's all, folks. It's politics. It's the life we've chosen for ourselves. Thanks for listening.